Welcome back to the Purple Worm Podcast, a podcast where four British guys talk about gaming. And in this episode, we have Colin from Spike Pit taking the lead and talking about locations that perhaps we overlook, but that could be useful sources of information for RPGs. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by places, especially places that you maybe take for granted or on a on a daily basis you just walk by and then perhaps you later on discover that there's a bit more to them. And when I was a kid, we used to go to a place, it was, it's called, it was Marsh House and it was in the holidays you'd get one of the local authorities organising um, activities for kids. This was based at uh, an adventure playground. And it was back in the days where they would build these big adventure playgrounds using old scrap timber, pallets. It'd be big old tyres and ropes and it would just not fly nowadays. It was old like creosote soaked railway sleepers and stuff like that. It was just a total health and safety nightmare. But it was just put together by this local youth group and stuff. And outside it, there was this, there was a bit of a drive up and and it always caught your eye from the street because it was a big old farmhouse with a massive um, rainbow-coloured, multicoloured mural on the side of this house. And you could see it from the road. And there was there was this like mound and these trees. And you'd get uh, an old bread crate and go sliding down a, like a dirt trail on a bread crate and drag it back up. Rope swings, all that sort of stuff. There was a bit of a river and everything. If you was just passing through now you would see a roundabout, you'd see this bit of a river, you'd see this house, there's a there's a McDonald's there, there's a petrol station, big railway line, you can't miss it, you've got to go underneath the bridge, and there's like a funeral directors and joinery place, old family business has been there for years, and I'd say it was because it was on the side of the railway, and it was easy for dropping off timber and building materials, so it's like a siding, and they got a yard, and it's got posher over the years. But what you would most likely not really notice is there's this pretty big old mound. And this mound is called Wallard's Bank. And it is at least Iron Age. Some people suggest it's like maybe Neolithic or, or before that. And it forms um, that they've done a number of excavations. And it's basically an enclosure. It's a seven hectare enclosure. And down one side runs River Lee. We've talked about rivers. It's right near the source of the river. So you've got a place called Five Springs. So we've got springs. There's an ancient trackway, the Icknield Way, one of the oldest trackways in the country, crosses this this river at this point. And this River Lee is also a boundary to Viking Danelaw. Um, You've got trees struck by lightning you've got tails of standing stones there's a whole bunch of stuff that's that's the overview of of what i want to talk a little bit about lots of a lot of the time you get people talk about we want more more setting stuff we don't want rules all the time we want settings and things and i'll tell you this little place is a ready-made setting you just 
you could take all of those elements and do do the kind of campaign or setting that I like where you pick a place and then you spiral out because it's like this this junction. It's it's around about now, but it, it, there's so many rumors and and there's archaeological evidence for for that they found arrowhead axes. They found evidence of a big old ditch palisade there's talk of significant um a roman settlement right nearby because of this important route crossing the river this river lee runs all the way down into london into the thames um and about halfway up the river lee the the, Vi- the vikings had a quite a significant camp at one stage and they overwintered there it, it's just I, I think it's a great place it's got everything there you know um looking at the ancient stuff but the way it blends with today as well. I was a kid playing there. You know, there's this old farmhouse, and today it's it's Marsh Farm is the area, and they've built the Marsh Farm flats. And people talk people talk about that the stones were taken from the site, and they reckon they're under the flat. So you've got these like these urban legends. There was Marsh Farm riots. My memories of it is. It's weird because I was so young. I remember seeing punk rockers, as we called them, punk rockers at the time. We called them coming out of the bushes with their bags of glue. They got glue bags and they got all um, safety pins, and we'd never seen anything like it. They might as well have been monsters. Do you know what I mean? And and you and you'd go in into the underground after them. And this is back in the day when pornography would be just, it wouldn't be on the internet, it would just be like hung on bushes in the, in the, uh, in the countryside. And, it, you know, you ended up, you go, you go somewhere, you think you're playing, playing down the park with your family and that, and you've, you've perhaps, you've gone along for a picnic and your little brother's turned up with, with, with half a copy of a penthouse or razzle or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Train. There's, there's half a million telling these stories about him. It's classic. But, you know, and this was an ancient, this is a um, a listed, uh, what do they call it? Scheduled ancient monument. And they're up there with their, with their old poor mags, sniffing their glue bags and just, just hanging out. And everything's uh, going on around this place. Everybody, well, the majority of people are just unawares. But there's all this like, history there right under your feet. And it fascinates me that probably anybody who's who's playing a role-playing game could go out their front door, probably walk the length of their road and come across something that's, you know, different, but with as much depth and richness. Yet yet we're still, we're, we're, you know, we're always going for that really fantastical thing. But it's, it's right under your nose. And I really like, I really like that idea. No, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea for RPGs because quite often, I mean, let, let's just take the generic example. You go to like a small village in like a, a sort of D and D style setting. If that village has been there for more than a few generations, there will be accumulated history in that area that you know, if you talk to like some of like the older people in that village, you might be able to find out a bit about. I mean, you can really bring a lot of sort of life to your setting by having these odd little sort of quirky traditions and these little bits of history that sort of bleed through into the present day of your setting. And what what it's made me think about as well is whilst I was looking this place up, I found there was um, like the local authority produced a little guide book. I think it's about 24 page or sides of A5. And it takes you down the route of the river going through various sites in Lee Grave 
and Luton. And it goes past some super interesting places. There's like a 14th century restaurant and house type of thing. There's like wetland. So it tells you a little bit about some of the nature, some of the sites. There's some stories. There's a little bit about industry and different things. And I'll tell you, you could take that guidebook and that could be uh, an adventure or a, a module and you could do your whole thing on that. And I'll tell you, it'd be good. And I'm probably going to do it. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do the walk. I'm going to I'm going to get, I'm going to print off the guidebook or just do it on my phone. I'm going to do the walk and I'm going to see if I can come up with something, run a couple of sessions and maybe do it like a modern setting with a throwback. Right. So I want to do that game, but I want to do it as baby Spike Pit. Cause that's the, that's the bit of these <laughs> stories that I really like. So I want to be Spike Pit. And his brother and his mates on their on bikes. the grifters, you know, looking things. for palisades. Oh, there's palace. I'll tell you, there's an ancient ditch down there, and palisades and uh, axe heads. No, never axe heads. Yeah, I swear, I swear, axe heads. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Stranger things, the Luton version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing is, um, with the river there, you, you've got all that sort of fay springs and stuff. There's a funny little place called Rotten Corner. It's called Rotten Corner, and it's like a, a boggy woodland. Um, you, you, you know, you could bring out all your, your river spirits. It's just, I was, I was going to say, the thing is, if you're playing with a local group and you bring all these local areas in, it's going to really bring it out in it because they're going to know the areas you're talking about and, and the visualisation, they're really going to sort of connect with it, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, I think it's really cool. I'd love to do much more stuff around here i'm fascinated with rivers at the moment and um you know i've got got them in my jungle campaign i've had some book recommendations talking about river journeys and i think you know just even though this is where i am it's the upper lee so it's not really navigable just walking along the side of it and that you know what you need mate you need a kayak that's what you need (laughs) funny you should say that yeah (laughs) It's the, it's the journey and the roots and the lines. Like we were talking about Evil Jeff had, had been on the Twitch and was talking about trackways, things like that. We've been talking about rivers constantly. Them themes, some of them linear things, these ancient things, they can they can give you that structure for, for, your, for your adventure. Follow a river. Just follow a river, man. Yeah, I mean... You don't, um... you don't need much more of a hook than you've got to get down the river. I mean, we were saying earlier, we, we talked a bit about like the, the sort of New World of Darkness games and sort of like the, the, the sort of mortal side of things. And I think uh, Pete's absolutely right. Any sort of game that's ostensibly set in the, the real world or a version of the real world, you can find... I mean, with the internet now and various books available cheaply in PDF and stuff like that, you can so easily find a body of law about any particular area... So if you're running a game ostensibly set in the real world, it's very easy to find that information to add that that sort of extra depth to your setting. But just as easily, if you're running a a game set in a, a campaign world of your own or a fantasy world or whatever, you can easily take some of these these legends. Like you say, if if there's a legend about a an old mound or an old tree or a river or whatever, you can easily take something like that and take inspiration from that and port it into your own campaign setting. I was just going to say, the other thing that fascinates me is is like that place, you know, so Wallens Bank and Marsh Farm and that whole area, then then take a, an interesting event or story and like that, that's linked to that place and then use that as the basis of your, your one shot or your game. So immediately, maybe like that Monster of the Week, you, you take you take these, this place 
and you go to the Marsh Farm riots and you may be looking to a little bit of the news at the time, pull out a few of the interesting characters involved with that. They're your NPCs. You've got a little bit of a scenario. Then then you work out what's interesting about that and, and, and where's where's the game, where's the adventure in that. Maybe you could then bring some of the old stuff and, and, and it's, it's there's a haunting or there's some spirits or... Or it's not like that at all. It's just hardcore, like modern, whatever. But I, I like that idea of just getting you inspiration f- from stuff that's happened because there's a rich source there. There's the news, isn't there? There's all the, the reporting of the events. You can get photos, footage. Well, that's it. I mean, with the, with the internet now, you can dig up like old newspaper stories. Pretty, pretty much every place of significance has got like at least like a Wikipedia entry. So I think at the minute we've almost got a bit of an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the amount of information we can actually access because it's never been so easy to just like log onto your computer and be like, tap, 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 tell me about this particular place. And like I say, you, you can go online, you can order books fairly cheaply now. And I mean, one of the first things I tend to do whenever I'm running a game, setting like a version of like the real world. I mean, part of the reason I've got so many books on like London legends and stuff like that is because I'm running a couple of games setting like a fantasy and a sort of modern day version of london so i'll always if i get a setting where i think oh yeah it's based on this place in the real world i'll tend to just like pick up a couple of like cheap books about sort of legend and lore of that area because even if i don't use it as is it's great for like flicking through these books like um dave was doing when he was talking about his book earlier it's great to flick through them and just like have them spark ideas which you might use as is you might change but it's great as a source of inspiration for your games yeah, and you've got that design. You by picking a place or a time that you've got that you haven't got that. Um, sometimes it's hard to design when you haven't got some parameters. If, you, if you've got a little bit of restriction on your design, it can work a lot better in bringing the inspiration through. What's a good system for these more contemporary games we've been talking about? So obviously we've got New World of Darkness. Um, has anybody played any of these Kids on Bikes, Tales from the Loop type games? I haven't I haven't gone near them. I haven't seen the. Books I've played them. Um, play. I've played the Things from the Flood, um, which is like the, the the one after Tales from the Loop, which is when you go Tales from the Loop is like, oh, we're kids on bikes in like the eighties, isn't everything great? And there's this fantastical sort of technology, whereas Things from the Flood is like. It's the 90s, you're all teenagers, everything's dank and angsty and everything's falling to pieces. And there's this strange sort of machine disease that's affected all the fantastic technology. And um, it, it's I, I like that series of books because the two of them have like a very different flavour despite ostensibly being set in the same world and like the timelines moved on. And although they sort of give a couple of locations where these, these sort of... Um, these loops can be placed it's very easy and i've seen a lot of people do it online to just sort of port them to a familiar setting and run them in whatever area you see fit as and i think they work pretty well for that sort of stuff as long as as with every all every sort of game the players sort of buy into the tropes of the setting well we played that one at um uk yeah. games expo with you john didn't we yep oh yeah that's it's the dark, um, demigods and d- dark, dark, places dark places and, and demigorgons yeah yeah and that's a uh, that, that's pretty much the same thing. It's like a kids on bike sort of idea, yeah. but it uses like it's from Bloat Games. Uses like I, th- I believe uses like the OSR style yeah, rules. I think one of the reasons why the this sort of game tends to work well, in particular for like horror types of games. Obviously, we've all got a, a fair bit of nostalgia about those sort of periods, and we, we sort of know them even if we didn't experience them directly. We know them from films and stuff like that. So I think they have a sense of normality then exactly. contrasts when you bring mm. your sort of horror element in so 
if you if you go into a game and like everything's horror, yeah. it, it becomes sort of the norm and it it becomes less scary, less tense. Whereas if you're like, oh yeah, we we're like kids, we're in the eighties, we're just like going to class and we're we're doing like normal stuff, and then sort of spooky or eerie things yeah. start to bleed into that. I think the contrast makes but- it. There's been a good uh, few TV shows that have sort of brought folklore into it. Uh, I'm thinking really of things like uh, Constantine, The Dresden Files, uh, Grimm. I mean, they've all taken sort of these uh, standard fairy tales and folklore and sort of wove them into, into sort of modern day stories. And I think they've all done it pretty some good ideas, isn't it? Yeah. See, I've got a question for you then. Do you, do you guys, just sort of talking about this using real places, it occurs to me, when, now I think about it, I think I've probably done this all along, ever since I was DMing, because I actually remember going to, like, when we'd go to Wales and that, I'd draw places. We'd go on a walk, and I'd I'd write it up after I'd come back from the walk as a, as a place, and I'd look at something, I'd see something in the landscape, and I think, oh, that, that could be an orc fortress. I would, they'd have a wall there, and, you know, every time I looked at, like, maps, but specifically planning a route, then going to a place, walking around it, I'd always have these ideas. I wonder how much do you guys draw on real-life places or do you just fall back on books you read and stuff like so, that? So for me, it used to be it used to be exactly the same. So my family, we I was dragged around camping everywhere for, for years. And then, I don't know, when I was 12, 13, something like that, my family discovered North Wales. They discovered one particular campsite in North Wales where eventually they bought a static caravan. We used to go back there every year and we'd spend as much of the summer as we could. You know, my dad would save up all his leave. And I used to take, at the time, I was big on palladium. And I used to take all of it because that was just what I had. I used to take all my palladium. And they'd be all like, why have you filled a bag with your palladium books? You know, why... Why do you need those? We're going on holiday. I was like, you you don't understand. I'm going to be bombarded. You know, and I'd be sat in the caravan. I'd be looking across. I could see the mountains and I'd already be thinking about things. And then you'd go to the gift shops and the gift shops were full of, as I mentioned before, full of all those crap books, you know, secret myths of Wales, you know, caves of Wales, every, everything you can possibly imagine. You'd be flicking through those and you'd just be bombarded with stuff. And you used to go back. There's one particular book I had at the time. And I haven't talked about this at all, actually. But it was the right. Mutants in Avalon book. I'm going to I'm going to podcast about this tomorrow. Mutants in Avalon was was one of the uh, after the bomb series, but it was the after the bomb in England, and it was quite nice. They'd medievalized it because because after the bomb, not only did the animals mutate, but also there was a big EMP which destroyed all the tech, so it made it a little bit more uh, medieval. Um, and you were fighting the Saxons, except the Saxons was some acronym of. Uh, of of some group of humans that were coming in from France. I can't remember what it stood for, but Saxon was the acronym. So you were even fighting the Saxon Saxon. And, but but they still they still had an idea about how the Arthur myth reemerged. And that when I used to go to Wales, that used to be the book that I was always pouring through. And the- no, I mean I think you're absolutely right. I mean for, for me, it tends to be a mixture of stuff I've read and sort of stuff I've experienced. Now. I sort of struggle to retain like vast volumes of text, but it's like uh, I remember visual things. So, for instance, I went to a I went to a LARP event again down in Wales like years ago now, and the whole event was set in a, a reconstructed sort of Iron Age village where they'd sort of rebuilt rebuilt it using like um, traditional techniques and whatever. And every time I 
I think of like a little village in like a fantasy game. I always think of that and like how the houses looked and like you know we slept in round houses with like straw, mm. um, like wattle and daub and straw thatching and stuff like that. And I, whenever I'm sort of running a game, I always think of that when I'm running a village or if I'm running like a forest. I always think about like the woodlands I've been to and the different forests I've been to, and you can draw on little bits of your memory to sort of give a little spark of life to those scene descriptions and things like that yeah i'm with you on that one i think if if you've been if you visualize somewhere that you've been you can describe it a lot better can't you to to other people in the discussion on the audio dungeon recently where people were talking about sort of going into like real life dungeons and stuff like that and people were talking about how how dark it can get when there's like a complete absence of light and you know there's no like light pollution from like uh, city lights and stuff like that and one of the things I, I absolutely remember about sort of being in Wales in this Iron Age sort of reconstructed village is it was miles from anywhere we were all sat around a little campfire and outside the, the sort of glow of that campfire it was entirely pitch black to the point where you could, someone could walk within a few feet of you and you wouldn't be able to see them at all. And whenever I think of like you know going into like a dark dungeon or like you've got like your little lantern out, I always think, yeah, that's that's great. You've got like a tiny little circle of light, but outside that there could be anything. There could yep. be nothing. You don't know. And I think if you've lived in a city, actually experienced real darkness, you probably n- never experienced it, have you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm lucky in a way because I, I grew up in like a fairly small village that was on like the edge of the countryside. So for, for me, when, when I was sort of younger and like I was like, with my dad going out and my brother going out for a walk, you could go like a few miles and you'd be like walking through fields at night. And you, if, if you're lucky and it's a cloudless night and there's a, a full moon, you've got like a little bit of light coming down. But it's that weird sort of silvery light that makes everything look a bit eerie and casts sort of strange shadows. Whereas, as you say, if you're sort of in the middle of a big town or a city or something like that, there's always some light. You can always sort of see at least to a reasonable distance. Whereas once you step outside that comforting glow of the city or the town, it, it really does feel like a different world, especially if it's at night. Yeah, it's a, that's another theme that it, it does tie in with what I was saying, that, that previous settlement where, what for whatever reason, the inhabitant inhabitants have moved on places become something else stuff's landed up on top of it maybe you get the, the rise and fall of civilizations and and structures being reclaimed i love all that up the back of mine there's just a disused road the road was the width of a, a normal sort of three cars wide type of road now it's just like a little track it, it kind of meanders through it, it's almost like um, one of those I forget what they call them sort of like sunken footpaths that you get down in Devon and that where the, the, the bank comes down and then the trees close up over the top, get almost like a tunnel effect. It's, it's a bit like that. But every now and then you'll come across and there'll be a sign 30 mile an hour or something, you know, a bit like, you know, in um, Planet of the Apes and that. I, yeah. I, lo- I loved all that where a bit of the old, the old place turns up. Yeah. Like post-apocalyptic. Yeah. I was, I was, I say that about where my where my wife's parents live because it's those um, whatever they are they're those unclaimed roads that yeah. are supposed to be maintained by the general you know civic spirit of the inhabitants and of course yeah. 
They're not. They're not. So, so we say it's like driving into the Badlands. You've got all these lovely houses, beautiful, expensive cars, and no one can agree which bit of the road they're going to maintain. So all these beautiful, expensive cars are just driving over rubble. Uh, <laughs> well, like I say, um, I, I've been like wilderness camping in sort of like Scotland a few times, mm-hmm. um, sort of like into like fairly isolated areas. And on one particular time we went, and um, we'd planned to like make our camp in this small copse of trees, this small little woodland, and you know that'll like, give us a bit of shelter, etc. Because we're using like tarps and stuff like that. And mm. um, what we didn't realise, we arrived there late at night. It was foggy as anything. Vision was down to virtually nothing. What we didn't realise is the area had been sort of logged the the week before. So we didn't realise this because we we couldn't really see anything. We set up our tops. We all went to sleep. Happy days. Myself and my friend Dave woke up early doors next morning. And as the sun was coming over the horizon, there was just this like field of tree stumps around us. And we were stood there like having a having a cigarette like, early in the morning. And as we were looking around, we were like, if you didn't know better, this could be like the world's ended while we slept. Because there was no yeah. sign of like any civilization anywhere. There was just sort of like all these felled trees and these these trees. Churned up just, ground. Yeah, just as far as the eye could see. And it just had this really sort of eerie, sort of quiet, yeah. desolate feeling, like a, a little bit of the morning mist fading away. Yeah. And we were just stood there. And we, like I say, we literally said, like, oh, it, it feels standing here like the world's ended while we slept. So... Even just like a little thing like that that we didn't notice when we first got there, it just made the whole place seem eerie and sort of strange to us when we first got up in the morning. Yeah, it's funny. The other one is, you know, like when you get, um, you, you'll you'll be going along a footpath and you just come across a, a deserted farm building for whatever reason. It's just fallen into a bit of disrepair. And that always, that's like a magnet to me. I always want to sort of like poke in there and see what's in there. You know, some of the roof has fell in or but there's a bit of door still there and, you know, you wonder what's in there. I think them places are fascinating. There's, you know, there's a tree going straight up through the roof and out the chimney or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much the same. I mean, as you're sort of like travelling through the country, you see a lot of these abandoned old little like farm buildings, as you say, and you can't help but like look at them and think, oh, I, I wonder what Wondering. it used to be yeah, used yeah, for, like yeah, yeah. What, what used to go on there and like, what, why is it now falling into disrepair? Like, why is it not being used anymore? And I think... I think if you actually found out the answer to that, it'd probably be quite mundane. You know, like, oh, maybe the farmer can't afford to maintain it or he doesn't need it anymore or whatever. So I think the the sort of mystery about those places... Yeah, they just get your mind... Yeah, it's far more compelling than, like, if you actually knew the answer. It's far more fun to speculate about it. So going back to what Dave was saying, what game, I think I would do a mystery and maybe give Bubble Gumshoe a go and do the Bubble the bubble gumshoe marsh farm riots that could be the thing and maybe who stirred it up you know you, you could have some factions and well, a little you, plot in there you know colin if you ever fancy running a an actual play for the wormers i'll, I'll sign up for like the marsh farm riots yeah i'm in that's good <laughs> hey but uh, yeah i mean I, i'm a fan of like um trail of cthulhu which uses like the gumshoe mechanics as well and I think that there's so much like rich history, as you were saying, Colin, if you just like scratch the surface, that these sort of games, if they're set in like, the real world, they almost write themselves, really. You've just got to put like a little bit of a spin on it, put a few little bits and pieces here and there, and the rest of it's all there for you. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. That's what I'm saying, really. These things, they, they write themselves. So that's it for this episode of the Purple Worm podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and you'll join us next time. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a voicemail message using Anchor 
or you can send us an email. The address is purplewormpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, keep gaming, and watch out for those purple worms. Thank you.